Dinner will be served in 15 minutes. Don't mind the others. Just because they don't want you here doesn't mean you're not supposed to be. The secret birthright Pop wrote about is real. Our destinies are not decided by our families. You just have to seize it. I thought the world was one way and I found out it isn't. And it terrifies me. Everything I wanted. Only to discover power. Like I've never known before. It's a rat race to the finish. And it's winner take all. We gotta face this new world head on. And stake our claim in it. It's our story. This birthright belongs to our family. Hello, welcome once again to A Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country. Yes, it's country, not county. Uh, we are a podcast that discusses the HBO weekly television show Lovecraft Country. And we are here to discuss episode two of season one. Of the show, I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and with me in the state of New York. Hi, this is Mike. Mike, how are you? I'm fine, Phil. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, we we uh, got some good news today. Where uh, the, the great uh, Academy Award-nominated director and screenwriter Sean Baker is now following our podcast and is also uh, like some of our. Uh, tweets today so uh, that, what, that was good. why would he be following our podcast uh because we uh did a, a brand new released episode of one of our sister podcasts cinema a la carte of his film uh starlet oh okay yep. so he uh uh noticed it and noticed that we uh had released the episode and uh he was uh, very happy about it as a matter of fact excellent um, yes yes and uh in the state of well, actually, the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Excellent. And in the state of Missouri? Hey, this is Kevin. Kevin, how are you? Groovy. Excellent. Uh, so for folks who are curious for us, who have just found us and started listening to us, uh, we are once again a travel guide to Lovecraft Country, the podcast found wherever podcasts are found. Uh, we also are one of the Dark Discussion Network podcasts. So our website is darkdiscussions.com. Our email is darkdiscussions at aol.com. And we have a Facebook group called Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group where uh, things are being discussed all genre. And we also have a Twitter Dark Discussion One, and uh, you can uh, follow us on any of those things. And if you email us, or if you go to darkdiscussions.com and press the contact us link, you can just email us that way too, and we will read your email on the podcast. So if you have thoughts on Lovecraft Country, or anything Lovecraft related, or I guess anything related to um, any of the, the the actors or producers or directors or screenwriters of the show, uh, please email us or even 
opinions on our podcast, please email us and we will read it on the podcast. Um, so uh, that's pretty much the rundown there. Uh, anybody, uh, I'll do it just around quick round table here. Uh, Mike, you have any, uh, anything that you wanted to bring up before we, uh, get into, uh, tonight's episode? No, not really. All right. What about yourself, Barrett? I do not. And what about you, Kevin? Nope. All right. So it was a pretty, uh, uh, quiet, uh, about Lovecraft on the internet and the news today. So, uh, we will just get into our show tonight. Uh, this is for folks who are listening, we are recording on August 25th, 2020, which is a Tuesday. Uh, hopefully this uh, episode will be released August 26th, 2020, when you will uh, begin to start listening to it. Uh, tonight's episode uh, is about Sunday's uh, episode of the, the, the TV show, which was uh, on the 23rd of August, and it was called Whitey's on the Moon. Uh, it was uh, directed by Daniel... Uh, Sackheim, who uh, actually uh, directed a number of uh, television shows, including X-Files, Law and Order, House, New York, NYPD Blues, The Walking Dead, uh, The Americans, and Ozark, for which he was nominated for an Emmy Award. And for folks who are curious, Ozark is the best show ever. Um, the, it it was... Uh, well, that's a great, that's a great show too. Uh, Misha Green, uh, the showrunner was the screenwriter of this episode. Uh, and, uh, she, uh, is well-known screenwriter for various television shows, uh, that she worked on in the past. Uh, so, uh, let's get into, uh, information. Uh, it was 0.86, uh, so 860. 7,000 people watched it live or started streaming it when it was released live, um, which is a bump of about 100,000 from the debut episode, Sundown. Hey, uh, uh, when does that actually debut on, on HBO? Like what time? Um, it, I, the actual time, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I've been it's watching 9 p.m. It. Sunday, right? Yeah, I think that's the regular time that like Westworld and and uh, uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Did it. Yeah, that, yeah, that tends to be their their slot is nine o'clock Sundays. Yeah, the Watchmen. I was that wondering that because um, I was I had you know I was ready to go uh, to to watch it around well that'd be eight o'clock my time, and I I was like all right where where is it because I thought it would and it didn't show up and so I started watching something else on HBO and then. And that ended about, you know, that ended. And so when uh, then say, oh, OK, it, it's on now. But I don't know, maybe I just needed to refresh. Right, right. Yeah. After nine o'clock, I don't know how it is your central time. I'm not sure if central time they they started at nine o'clock, too, or if they just started at eight central time, because um, I, I do know that West Coast, they actually started at nine o'clock west coast time but uh, i don't know how they they do mountain time or central time uh at least in the u.s and canada uh in mexico i'm not sure about uh wherever else people would watch the, sh the show since we do have listeners from the uk and uh some of the caribbean islands and, and australia and, and ireland and, and whatnot um all right so that's pretty much all i got for uh 
the information about behind the scenes. Um, so I guess we can, well, the one other thing is, uh, yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So I guess we can, uh, discuss, uh, what we thought about this episode and whatnot. So, uh, let's start with you, Barrett. Um, the word I would give for this episode is abrupt. Um, it just seemed, uh, I don't know, like it ended very abruptly. It, it seemed like it brought a storyline very quickly to a close. I just, I enjoyed the acting and I enjoyed the the idea of the story. I just felt like this part of it just went very quickly and was over very quickly. So I wasn't really happy with the episode. All right. Very good. Uh, yeah, for me, um, I actually uh, is, was similar to your feelings, Barrett, uh, but more so. I guess for the series than, than just the episode itself, because uh, it is appearing that it is a dark fantasy show rather than a straight horror show that I'm, I'm used to or, or what, what I prefer, I guess, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. It's just that I went in blind for this series, uh, assuming the word Lovecraft, meaning it would be very similar to the dark tales of uh, his stories. Uh, but Based off of uh, Kevin reading the book, you may be able to clarify, um, this is based off of the book Lovecraft Country, which is nothing to do with Lovecraft as a human being. It's, it's a standalone novel by another writer, a guy named Ruff, out of uh, New York City that came out just a few years ago. Uh, so obviously um, it may be a dark fantasy novel rather than uh, straight Lovecraftian horror as, as I had expected. Uh, so that being the case, um, yeah, so I, I, I somewhat, um, I guess not disappointed, but, uh, um, yeah, right. I'll use the word disappointed because I, I was hoping the series would be more straight horror. However, uh, as an episode specifically based off of the dark fantasy that it's portraying, um, yeah, it was, it was all right. I mean, um, there were some interesting things about it that uh, we'll discuss, but uh, um, I, I, I can't say that that this will be this was one of my favorite episodes of television in, in the past couple of years. So yeah, uh, let's go with you, Mike. Yeah, well, I mean, this is why you do homework beforehand. But um, it's uh, and I think the last episode was much more straightforward, much more horror. I think this episode was. Uh, kind of a shaggy story compared to the last one. Um, the last one, I think, had a very clear narrative. In this case, I don't think... Um, this. The, I, I don't want to say clear in terms of... Because I, I followed what was going on, so I don't mean it's unclear in that regard, but in terms of the story seemed to be going in, in meandering, right? I could follow what was happening, but it didn't have a clear-cut direction to where it was going. And I think part of that is the fact that they are fucking around with these people's reality um, in the story. So maybe that's that has something to do with it. We do get a little bit of uh, exposition and, and uh, uh, history shoved in that we don't really get a chance to to sit with or to process uh, that I'm sure is going to pay off probably later. Um yeah, I mean, it's. I don't like. I thought it was okay. I don't think it was as good as the first episode was. 
Uh, you had, you know, it is supposed to be more of a monster of the week kind of story. And they, they threw a monster in there in a way that felt forced just to say, hey, look, here was an episode with a monster in it. Uh, but it was very brief. Um, it, this really just felt a lot of setup without a lot of payoff. Uh, and, you know, it is only the second episode of the series. So we'll see where it's going to go. All right, very good. Uh, to clarify Mike's uh, point about doing your homework before watching something, uh, that could be true, though, uh, as Mike has known, I've known Mike for since 2011, uh, just as one of our co-hosts, uh, I like going into things completely blind, not knowing anything except what reviews say or what the title says, and, and that's the reason why I, quote-unquote, wasn't, I'm not prepared to, uh, or did homework on what the show was about. Uh, because again, I, I like going in with knowing nothing and then watching it blindly. Uh, let's go with you, Kevin. Uh, part of me was as I was watching it, I uh, kind of along the lines of Mike, I also felt that it was choppy. Um, you know, I mean, it, where Mike said it didn't flow, I thought some parts were very choppy. Um, you know, one minute they're in the house. And then the next minute they're in town and you're just like, wait a minute, how did you get, I, I mean, obviously we know that, all right, you, you left the house and you, and you went into town, but the whole, I just, without getting into spoilers, spoilers right now, I, there's just a couple of things that I, I just left me scratching my head a little bit. Um, and I don't know, I just didn't like, well, I, I wasn't too fond of this particular, uh, but this particular episode at the end of the credits, it showed Cummings for the next episode. And that looked, that one looks like it's going to be a good episode. Okay. I mean, you, you know, we're not talking fantasy. We're not really talking fantasy for the next episode. We might actually be talking some, you know, some good, honest, scary stuff. You know, and it almost looks like you're going to have scary spiritual stuff like ghosts. And then you're going to have scary, not not spiritual stuff with, uh, well, let's just say this idiot racist. Um, I have absolutely no respect for racists. So, yeah, you're going to have jerk racists, monsters on the outside, and you're going to have supernatural monsters on the inside. So that one might be a little bit a bit more interesting. All right, very good. Uh, yeah, that is interesting. You brought that up. Um, the racists were, were a very eclectic group from uh, wealthy white privilege all the way down to um, uh, bumpkins. Uh, it, was, it was a very curiosity uh, how that was. And uh, we'll, we'll get into all that stuff as we, we continue. Um, so so uh, let's uh, discuss uh, anything and everything related to the show show without spoilers so this is the pre-spoiler part but uh we'll throw up the spoiler flag when we get into uh, specifics and and specific details and whatnot because obviously folks who listen to this podcast have probably already seen the show and they're here to hear feedback and opinions um by people who uh, are viewers just as they and who are not necessarily uh, the filmmakers themselves because uh, as mike mentioned there is a and i know you have listened to it too uh, Kevin, there's a, there's a podcast by the filmmakers themselves that discuss us, but uh, we're just uh, ordinary folks who uh, 
uh, taking our own uh, thoughts from what we see. Uh, so uh, anything anybody wanted to bring up specifically related to, I guess, the episode that wouldn't be spoilery? Um, well, the, the, the title itself, uh, which, you know, they throw up there, so that shouldn't be spoilery. It's, it's there for anyone who looks it up. Uh, it's the run on the screen before the episode starts is Whitey on the Moon. Okay. Whitey's on the Moon. And that's that's referring to a poem that was released um, on a spoken word album in 1970. Um, so the year that we were born, uh, Phil and I. Yeah, yeah it was um, a year after uh, we, we uh, the U.S. sent uh, folks to the moon, as a matter of fact. Right, it was by... 1969 uh, was, was the moon landing, and, and this poem came out in 1970. But go on, Mike. Right, uh, it's by uh, someone named uh, Gil Scott Heron, and it's um, basically, it's it's saying why, you know, it's contrasting, I guess, uh, the issues of poor black folks specifically while uh, we're spending, the government spending you know, millions and millions of dollars putting Whitey on the moon. And so it's a contrast of haves and have nots and a question of priority. And you could argue a lot of aspects of it, but that is, I think, a lot of where you know, playing into the, uh, the issues here, right? Because you start with the episode with the uh, the moving on up montage. Yes, from the the, the great television show, uh, The Jeffersons, one of my favorite shows as a kid. Right, and where you see Letty and George sort of reveling in this uh, experience of, of luxury that, in all likelihood, they have ne- they have never had to, uh, the experience with. Uh, in fairness, probably ninety nine point nine nine percent of the population of any color has not dealt with the type of luxury they were dealing with at that moment in 1955 or whenever this is exactly. Uh, but obviously since this is whole show is being put through um, lar- well, larger through the, the lens of race. So they also do bring sex into the, in uh, a bit he- more heavily in this episode too. Um, oh, when it, you say uh, sex, you, you mean gender, right? Yeah. Penis, vagina, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Not, not actual uh, sexual intercourse, soft, soft porn, or, or sex porn. No, but, but, but you mean you know, gender, again, the, gender. Right. So when you're talking about you know privilege or, or privileged class or underprivileged, and certainly that's, that's a recurring motif here and a theme, I think, in this episode. Sure, sure. Yep. Right, right. Yep, that's a fair point. Uh, I, I unfortunately inter- – well, not unfortunately, but I, I interjected, Mike. Um, so uh, was there anything else that you wanted to say? That before no, that, I- that was pretty much it. I think that's sort of, sort of yeah. a framework. And to kind of how uh, these people, our three leads, are sort of playthings for the upper class through a lot of this episode. Um, they're being used and exploited. And, you know, we when we find out the, the goal of the episode's villain, um, there are certainly also parallels, I guess you could argue, to our moon, to the moon launch, right, in trying to go someplace else. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I, I figured that I didn't I didn't see that, but I, I see your point now. I, I looked at it the title and the poem being recited um, and, and the, I guess the, the racism, whether, whether it was the wealthy folk or the handful of uh, bumpkins or, or uh, rural looking uh, white folk, um, specifically the woman. Um, I thought this that was more of a, I guess, 
poem of the commentary of um, race and class specifically uh, in general than specific to this episode. But I, I guess you're right, Mike. You could tie it to the episode based off of going someplace else. So that, well, I'm uh, just trying to figure out a way to get that. Why does it they, they choose that? work specifically for this episode right because again this is set in yeah. 1950s and we didn't as you said land on the moon until 1969 and they have you they did last episode and they have a couple of times this episode used source material that postdates the events of right. the well the, the lead song the jefferson song if it's for right. Sure, right yeah and that was like late 70s right so yeah, yeah. um you know so i it's so the question is, to me was why did they pick this specifically? Because I'm sure, you know, it is uh, considered a significant work. Um, it did uh, get noticed at the time, so it doesn't surprise me that they used it. It just surprises me. Well, not surprised me. I'm just wondering why did they choose that specifically for this? I don't think they they just came up on their uh, on their shuffle play on iTunes. Right, right. Well, well, it does. It does. Um... I guess it, it put a dot the I and crosses the T of, of I guess what the the entire series based off the first two episodes anyway I was trying to say in general right rather than specific to this one episode so the poem itself um, talking about uh, what they the poet I guess and, and I guess what this, the showrunners are, are trying to say is that the white folk look to do things for the advancement of themselves while overlooking the fact that um, specifically the black folk, because they're talking about whitey, it's not, they're not talking about poor white rural people in the Ozarks, they're talking about black folk, specifically the poem, poem is. Um, and and the, the the issues that the black folk feel, I guess, being left behind or having all this money spent in what they what the poet is trying to say are trivial or unnecessary, especially when there's an entire group of people of color, specifically the black folk, uh, don't have toilets or cars or, or TV or whatever. That, and they're uh, taking their money for it to do this yeah, thing to yeah. go to the moon, this magical Ta thing to go to the moon. <laughs> yeah, they, they say taxes too. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so so obviously, you know, anybody can di dissect such a, a poem and, and say that that oversimplifies everything. Um, but again, I, I'm assuming the poet was just trying to make a point whether it oversimplifies things or not. You know, I mean, we can, we can discuss that there always will be issues in, in humanity just for the fact, and I always say this, that, you know, one in 20 per people have dissocial or borderline personality disorders, which means, you know, we're, we're going to always have problems in the world. Um, so what else? Anybody else wanted to talk about the poem and, um, the big picture of, I guess, um, its meaning to, to this episode or to the series. Anyone? No, I think we covered that for myself anyway. 
All right, very well. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, any listeners? Dark discussions at AOL dot com. Um, all right, what else do we want to discuss? Anything else that we want to talk about? Um, what about the Jefferson montage? Um, I, I, it kind of, I mean, it was fun and it was was cute and it was interesting, but it, but it did feel a little out of place. Uh, again, though, the two folks who are all happy and dancing had their minds um, uh, erased. So it made sense, you know, 10 to 15 minutes later into the show. But, you know, having experienced what they just happened, I was a little confused at that moment uh, until we find out that their minds were erased. Because anybody that had just gone through the ending of episode one, Sundown, probably would it would be more like our lead character than the two co-leads that were dancing and joy with, with, with the wealth around them. Uh, but that was answered 10, 15 minutes later. So, uh, because again, their, their minds were erased because there's a lot of, a lot of like, this is where I, I talk about dark fantasy because there's a lot of things that happen in this episode that take it out of the real world. In a sense, it's not like the Hannibal TV show that we saw, uh, a couple of years ago, or, or Dexter or something like that, which everything is, is straight in the real world. Again, this one wasn't going to be because we do have um, monsters, but um, we do have certain things based off of uh, um, suspension of disbelief, which can, can make the supernatural appear legitimate in the real world, say, for example, films like The Changeling or whatever. Uh, but then you get into further into the dark fantasy or the mystical realism. And uh, I know, Barrett, you're, you're a pretty good big fan of dark fantasy novels and, and things of that nature. Uh, what's your thoughts on that aspect of the show? Um, I mean, I like it. It's I, I like dark fantasy. Um, I was, I mean, as far as this show is concerned, I thought it was going to be I don't know, more Lovecraftian like you did. So I'm not sure what I feel yet. <laughs> Maybe after a few more episodes, I'll, I'll, I'll have a better handle on that. But right now I'm still a little iffy. And this episode didn't help as far as solidifying how I feel about the show. So, yeah, Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, basically, Kevin and uh, Mike, you guys have been pretty quiet. Um, and I'm just trying to move the show along. Uh, but again, as, as you said, Mike... You know, we're just four uh, suburban white guys, or, or rural in my case, um, talking about a show that, that is talking about um, things that uh, affect uh, people of color, which, which none of us have experienced. So obviously, um, I guess we're, we're trying to tap dance around things or, or walk safely over the coals. What do you think? Anyone? Anyone have comments? I, I don't know. I mean, it's I, I can only speak to what I know. I'm not going to, uh, you know, or what I've experienced um, and what and the things I've been told and what I've learned. And I think the importance of stuff like this, I remember um, a while ago seeing like a list of the most popular TV shows by race and um, of what was on the air at the time. And, you know, with white people, it was like friends. Seinfeld and and for black family it was like everybody loves Chris it was just it, the the you know friends wasn't even on the top 10 list you know the 
you know, when we get bifurcated to the point when we're not even watching the, the same entertainments, you know, then it becomes even harder for us to understand the stories of of the other side, right? if you want to split it up like that, right, uh, of the other perspective. And so I do think it's really important <clears throat> that a show like this does speak to people. Uh, they speak specifically to the black experience, but I think it's important that shows like this speak to more than just the black experience. Um, just as, you know, uh, God, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, you, you know, had a Superman tattoo. You know, he didn't have a Superman tattoo because Superman was black. Um, there was, that was a character that spoke to his life and his experience in a way that it, the, where it transcended the character's race. And I think that's important here is that, and I can enjoy, and I am enjoying the show. I may not be getting everything out of it that say somebody who's better versed in the background and history has, but I am appreciating the fact that I'm getting some exposure to other people's perspective. And I think, for example, it's important at, um, and interesting that they start the show in these first two episodes in New England, and they aren't starting it like in Alabama, um, you know, because the you know the race issue isn't strictly a Southern thing, and like New York didn't uh, end slavery until 1799, you know, which is um, over 20 years after the revolution started. Um, so, yeah, and then and race obviously didn't necessarily go away. Wisconsin, I don't think, was ever a slave state, but we just saw something rather uh, seemingly horrific happen there over the weekend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel the need to pussyfoot around it. I mean, certainly you can't get more white than the characters in this episode, the villains in this episode, right? Every one of them, you know, is white hair, blue eyed. Um, there are direct clan parallels referenced within the show itself um although they're dismissed as the um as being too poor uh to associate with this group and this is really i think looking more at you know a different kind of of racism that you might have gotten from the upper classes you know the you know you may not be necessarily going out there and burning crosses on someone's lawn but you're not going to let them join your country club either Right. Yeah. Now, what what about the uh, the woman, uh, country folk wo woman? What, what, why Christina? was she? Yeah. What, what was she there for? When well, she, what, why would she be associated with, or why would those wealthy elites associate with her when they have issues with the white trash clan folk? Which one are you talking about? The woman with the two dogs? Yes, yes. Because she handles their beasts. And I don't mean that in a metaphorical way. <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of the... I don't know. It almost seems like they're like the, the serfs. Yeah, exactly uh, what I was going to say. The serfs. You know, <laughs> the serfs of the... Um, I can't remember the the actual you know the of the of the manor you know it's like right. hey, you have your you have your castle up on the hill and they're the ones who kind of run everything and the people in the village you know they're the they're the serfs they're the ones who do the farming they're the ones who take care of the monsters and 
um, you know, even probably provide the food and do the farming and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and do um, do upkeep and maintenance. The butlers, the maids, the the gardeners, um, all the rest of it. That the, the they're the servant class. Right. The one thing gotcha. I did find interesting, if I if I can talk about this now, is when you know Atticus, uh, Leticia, and uh, the uh, crumbs, the uncle. Um, I forgot his name. Uh, oh, the, the, the Uncle George, right? George, yeah, George. When they go into the village, it's funny because they're walking around the village. The kids are playing. People are going about their daily business. But one thing they did not do is they did not stare at them. Right. They did not look at them. Like, it's like, for example, when, uh, you know, in the first episode, Sundown, on their way up, you know, they go into a, you know, they go into a diner. They get or they pull out of their car to walk into a diner and you see these two, these two women walking along kind of staring. And I'm like, Oh no, they're, you know, those type are here now, you know, type of have that kind of reaction where they go into the village and no one cares. The only person who really has anything really to say is the woman, you know, with the two dogs. And I mean, she uh, (laughs) really, Likes to uh, disguise, well, I wouldn't say disguise, but uh, exhibits her racism, metaphorically speaking, you know, talking about black bears. And then she, you know, talks about you have to be aware of the black ones, you know, sticking their noses and nobody's, bit, you know, and where they're, they're persistent. Huh? They're, yeah, they're persistent. They're smart, but they're not that smart. Yeah, they're yeah. not smart, smart. They're still animals, you know, and it's just, I, I mean... Yeah, but the funny part is, is that the rest of the town really didn't care. They're like, oh, you know, it's like, oh yeah, they get their, you know, people here. That's cool, whatever. Hey, you know, where's, you know, hey, let's let's play the ring around the rosy thing. You know, I mean, that's, you know, it's like they were doing a maypole thing of the uh, using the wicker man. Wicker man, yeah, I yeah. love that. <laughs> well, and this, well, and this is this is a part of what I was talking about, like the the, the sort of shagginess of the episode, the the lack of a clear direction, is that. They say, do you mind if we look around? They have lunch. They can look around and we can go to the village. He said, sure, but be back in time for dinner. They literally get to the village long enough to have one interaction with this woman. And then they have to go back in, you know, in time for dinner. You know, so it's just it's like this weird detour just to set up a thing that comes about later. And it feels like it's sort of messy storytelling to me. Um, it could just very well be like they know they're guests of the manor. Right, because we don't see them interact with anybody else. We don't. The other people don't have a problem with them. We just never see them interact with them in any way, shape, or form. And and it could very well just be that hey, they know they're the guests of uh, the Braithwaites, and therefore they have to be treated with respect. But this one is still going to be sort of passive aggressive in uh and how she's she's dealing with them. Right. She she's she's got to respect them, but she's not going to respect them all that much. And she's going to make it very clear. In a way that gives her deniability, if for some reason she's called out on it, uh, but she's going to make it very clear that she does not like having these people there. Now, how much does she stand in for the rest of the village? Well, we never really get a chance to find out. And I don't know how much that necessarily matters um, in the grand scheme of things. But, um, you know, because, you know, we see. The kids, we don't do we, do we really care how racist the kids on the Maypole are dancing around the Wicker Man, rather. 
you know, doesn't quite factor in the episode. Well, and that's kind of uh, why I felt the whole episode was abrupt. It just seemed like every scene was cut off very fast. And, and even the end seemed to tie off a storyline of them going there very quickly. Right. Do you and think, the thing do you is, do you think the multiple scenes were, were just episodic scenes? But anyway, go on, Mike. I was saying, the thing for me, the ending, without spoiling anything, the last episode ended abruptly, also in its way, but you resolve a storyline, the characters move on, and then it sets, and then it ends with them knocking on the door and get welcome home. And then it's there, but that's an abrupt ending that sets up this episode. Right. This episode ends abruptly with a very important emotional beat that I didn't feel like I got to hang on to long enough. Yep. Um, but also doesn't leave me... To me, it feels like the story is told. Right, yeah, that's exactly... That sums up exactly how I felt about it. It's done. And so, <laughs> maybe this is a two-part story to start the thing off, sort of. That is going to find his father. He finds his father, rescues his father, loses his uncle. Um, before that, ha- you know, by the end, Havoc can go home. Now, we know more is going to happen, but I have no idea at this point. I have none whatsoever where this is going. If this was like, say, X-Files, <clears throat> I know the lead characters are FBI agents, then they're going to get called to a new case next week. So I understand what the mechanism is to keep the show going. I have absolutely no idea because we know that Tick and Montrose were special. Um, Tick Montrose because of Tick, and then Tick because of his his heritage, and he was special to this particular um, to this wizard, the Sam Braithwaite, because he needed him to cast a spell. Well, that storyline's resolved. So what the hell? And when we never saw anything else, I didn't see anything else really um, to connect to anything larger. Now, I suspect that Christina, the daughter, and maybe, was it William? Yeah. Her, 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 her friend? Um, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, they're still around. Yeah. Yeah. They may, I certainly expect Christina to have a bigger part in the episodes to come. So, but I didn't, but I didn't see any of the seeds for that in this episode. I just saw the resentful daughter who resents the fact that because she's a daughter, she doesn't get to sit at the table where this guy, by virtue of his birth, and she sort of points out his privilege in that regard, because he was born with a penis. He gets to sit at the table, even though it's a black penis, he still gets to sit at the table. Well, I mean, she also mentions, she says, you know, they've done some pretty horrible things. So, I mean, she almost sounds like she's in there because she's because of her dad. I mean, if she could if she could get out, she would. Well, I would say sitting at the table was a pretty strong term after we see what happens. (laughs) Right. Well, um, yeah, Kevin, you do have a, a good point there. Uh, a lot of folks, and 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 not just for for, for this, but um, you know uh, the the Irish or the, the Italian mob, for example, um, children are, are born into it, and they and and you know you can even use um, 
the North Korean dictatorship, children are born into it, and, and then they become complicit, right? So the, the question is, oddly, you, you feel that most people are complicit because you don't hear about many family members of the, of the mob or Kim Il-jung's family you know, defecting or, or running away or, or going to state's evidence. So she, meaning Christina, may be more gray in the sense that she's not necessarily truly complicit like, you know, these other folk who are just born into criminal activities or, or dictatorial activities and, and, and embrace it completely. So are you I, I saying think he, she could be gray? Yeah. 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 Oh my well, God. She, well, she's definitely, you're saying she's, that. Well, well, she's <laughs> definitely, she's definitely, um, not good because she's part of the group and she hasn't left. But yeah, I mean, I mean you, yeah, they, there could be a redemption arc, even though you know, federal government-wise, you still go, go to jail for for doing terrible things, even if you you know regret what you did. So yeah, I guess that that could be gray. Yeah, so yeah, me the known as the black or white person where everything is good or evil. <laughs> um, right, right. One of the things that I, I like this. I mean, before like when they were getting Atticus ready. I mean, she was talking to him, and she was obviously not, I mean, yeah, it, it was kind of the, she didn't seem to be particularly fond of what they were going to do with Atticus, but at the same time, she, you know, she acted like she really didn't have much of a choice, but it, but it sounded like she was trying to drop hints about how to get through this, but... yeah. I think she was doing what she could, which was yeah. just giving him clues because she knew what her father was capable of. Right. Well, considering the fact that the father just shot, you know, Letitia and, you know, spoiler, uh, Letitia and George, you know, he, so, I mean, and he just like, okay, fine, you know, he just shot it, you know, with no, you know, with, with, with no regret whatsoever. Well, and, and it, this this is, comes down to my, my point earlier, which is, you know, one in twenty people have dissocial personality disorder or borderline personality disorder, or and even and then there's even people that don't have those disorders who are just plain evil, and and so you know he he's a perfect example of that where his conscience uh, he has he has none. I mean he it seems like he cares as little about. Um, the, the the guests, the little t-shirt and the rest of them, as as much as he care, uh, almost as his daughter, he cares almost as little about two, is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, everything, and everybody is a pawn to get a goal. It seems. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's also interesting that he sounded the father. He was he was odd because one minute he said he, he sounded a little bit like my faith only goes as far as you know what some of these people believe, almost like he's not fanatic, you know, not like he's really. I mean, I mean, in some ways, it almost sounds like he's taking this seriously, but at the same time, it almost sounds like he's not. I don't know. He's not taking the rules seriously. I think he was taking. His getting power seriously. Oh well, yeah, that right. And, he, and, he and also he, yeah. 
he recognizes the difference between you know the the truth and and tradition so he recognizes the power is real and right. respects the power but he also recognize but the tradition he he's kind of indifferent about he can use the right, power, because, and he will use he will use the tradition to help him when he can. But if it doesn't right. help him, we'll throw it away. But it right. is important to remember the daughter says he is a man of his word. So, you know, he does heal Letty uh, when they agree right. to cooperate. Well, Probably yeah. had he survived. Well, 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 that's two things that you brought up, Mike. One is, yeah, he came right out to Atticus, and he says, basically, you know, you, you are who you are, so I respect that. However, um that doesn't mean that you know that means I'm, but I'm still just using you. Otherwise, you're still a tool. Yeah, you're still a tool. And then the second thing is he still has a set of code similar to another sociopath in another great or in a great film, uh, No Country for Old Men, Anton Chigurh, who has a code. He follows through with the code, and you know what he's going to do because he keeps to his word. And so that is most certainly what this guy does too. It's just that when you're evil, um, the, the code itself um, may not really mean much to you if you're the person in that, you know, you know, in the, in the, bull, in the bullseye. And also the code itself is in, in a sense corrupted in its sense because it's, uh, the code can be immoral or unethical itself you know i mean for example the you know the a law like the jim crow laws that that was law that you know okay fine whatever but that doesn't mean it's it's moral it just means it's a law so i i think that could be part of um what this father's character kind of represents in a sense he is the the person who follows the code has a code will, will his word means something but again, it doesn't matter because it's it's wrong or it's corrupted. So I don't know. I'm, I maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Uh, either way, at this point, let's let's say that we'll talk about anything and everything. So yeah, if you guys need to speak about spoilers, it doesn't matter because again, everybody that's listening to this podcast has already seen the episode anyway. Um, so th- to be honest, we don't even really need a spoiler flag. Um, so yeah, so uh, the the villain played by. Um, the great character actor Tony Goldwyn of the fan, the multi-generational Hollywood moguls um, actually really does chew the scene up pretty well here. Um, he, he definitely, um, you know, did it did it like in a true B movie fashion, which was uh, kind of fun. I felt. Any thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Right. God, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he's a good he, bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, he played a very good wicked character. Yeah. You know, kind of I mean he it was it was I was trying to think of somebody else that that I would I would compare him to because I mean for some reason in my mind I think of old some old Boris Karloff movies where he's I mean Boris Karloff is the bad guy and there's no doubt that he's the bad guy but he's a very polite bad guy. You know, and at one point, I mean, in the like Boris, the Bond villain, uh, almost. Yeah. You know, it's like exactly. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. at one point, Boris Karloff's, you know, somebody does something to him. He says, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to kill you now. Please don't take it 
personal. You know, I mean, that's kind of how Karloff was in some of his movies. Was you know, don't you know, don't take it personally. You know, you 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 upset the apple cart. I'm gonna have to, you know, balance things out a bit by by killing you. You know, usually by some some means, uh, dastardly. You know, you know, I wouldn't be a bad guy. You know, if I didn't do it that way. But but please don't take it personal. It's just it's just business. You know. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, and and that's maybe that's that's again this movie, this show. Uh, you, I think you were the one that brought up Mike. Um, tries to reference a lot of great horror films and whatnot. I mean, you, we already mentioned one tonight with the the uh, Wicker Man. Uh, maybe this villain. You know, they were trying to um, do the the Boris Karloff uh, villain that that you're mentioning. Well, uh, yeah, this seven. is why. I, I think like I, you might be a little off in the in dismissing this as horror because cult you know long history in in the horror genre it was certainly an aspect of Lovecraft the secret societies you know uh, you know the the magic texts um, that's and also that, a big part of it. I mean they mentioned the Necronomicon in this he's like no no that's the Book of the Dead this is the Book of the Living uh, our Book of was it generations or whatever? But and then you're talking about referencing old, you know, other movies. I mean, they come right out and say the cabin in the woods. Yeah, they did. And then they also had uh, Eldrin Blackwood, William Hope Hogson, and uh, Clark Ashton Smith completely referenced, as well as uh, Hogson's uh, novella, uh, House on the Borderland, um, actually. Mm-hmm you know, shown. So, so yeah, there was a lot of references to classic horror, both in the cinema and in uh, n- novel format. And uh, you're right. One of the first lines of the, the episode after the Jefferson montage was um, cabin in the woods, I believe. Yeah. So I mean, he also mentions Dracula, you know, but the, the funny part is, and yeah, vampires, thing, he says, yeah. Yeah, one thing, yeah. though, I'm trying to figure out, because, I mean, I'm looking at that. I, I was thinking about the tower, and I'm looking, because, I mean, the, uh, George says, you know, that's, you know, you the you know, you're the jailer, because, I mean, that's, you know, the only brick building here, and it's a tower. And, you know, she opens it up, and you see meat hanging there, and I'm thinking to myself, you honestly need that whole tower to hang meat? You know, I mean, what, you know, I, I just think of, you know, there's got to be some reference to the to you know a dark tower with no windows. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, it could also just be that that's an old, which is where I kind of get is that it's an old building. Yeah. Um, it was the, the only one that had survived the fire, presumably, and therefore, but it's it was a, a building adapted for that purpose, and not necessarily one that was built for that purpose. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. I mean, I mean, we we see that where old churches are turned into condominiums, or or old uh, factories are turned into condominiums, or office buildings, and so forth. So, so that that makes sense, Mike. Uh, this could be um, just an old building that its proper use or original use has ended, and since it's still there and useful, they use it for something else. And in this case, uh, for the meats and, and and the dogs and stuff. So that, that's a fair point. Um, though, though it is curious that, I mean, it, it, I think it was not curious, but I think it was obviously ominously intentional that such a building was the one that was used for the, you know, the dead meat and 
the quote-unquote dogs, which were actually really Lovecraftian monsters. Um, because, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a cute house. It was an ominous-looking tower from medieval times, in a sense. So it, that was kind of a cute um, half expected to let down her hair. No, yeah. you mean uh, you mean uh, Rapunzel. Uh, Rapunzel. 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 My bad. Yeah, yeah. There you go. We do get we resolve the the driving plot of the first episode to find the father, right? So they 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 they, they do encounter Michael K. Vaughn uh, playing uh, Montrose Freeman, um, and I don't know that he's necessarily well very well utilized in this episode. Um, he's again, something feels like in, he was put in as an afterthought, um, because he isn't, it was, was kind of weird how, how he was yeah. introduced too, right? Because they were stuck in the basement and then they see a path and then, you know, in the wall and then they never go through the wall. We just cut to outside when we see Montrose coming out of the ground as if he went through the, the, he did well, they, their reference title and they it was just weird. I thought they it was referenced the Count of Monte Cristo as his favorite book, right? They move yep. the, the 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 bricks from the wall, and they see he's tunneled his way out. I don't think it's very clear at first glance. That's what it is, right? Um, on a rewatch, right. I noticed that you see the the passageway behind the wall, but you see dirt falling down. So he's borrowing his so he's digging his way out, uh, as per Count of Monte Cristo. And I'm guessing they want to do that to, again, give some agency to the character so he wasn't waiting around to be rescued. You know, when they get there, he says, you know, I rescued my own damn self, that he was forced to write the, that, you know, I didn't expect in a million years that you were going to come. We've been button heads, you know, you know, since you were five years old. Um, I didn't think you were going to come, you know, write this letter I was forced to uh, come rescue me because of this letter I was forced to write. You know, so they're, they're trying okay. to give him some some role in his own emancipation um you know in his own freedom which well, you know well, is important for that character well let me explain what, what I, I was confused about then uh, because when they were in the basement looking for the count of monte cristo cave and and again if you haven't read the the, the book or, or seen a movie based on it you, you may have been confused but i i thought they were locked they themselves no, were they were in no, they, they weren't, weren't locked. Okay. They, uh, the woman came in and had the shotgun on them, and then she got knocked right, out. And then as they were about to okay. leave, they noticed the, the, the uncle notices the gotcha. the loose brick or something like that. Well, now, one, now, what about – so, so it, was just, it, was just, it was just contrived then that the, the father was, was literally escaping the same moment that yeah. he found. Yes. Got, well, okay. the thing right. that, that's where I'm confused. The, one of the things that was a little choppy for me, though, was, you know, they're they're all inside. And then all of a sudden, you know, he says, OK, you know, I want I want you to set my father. They're all I think what happened was he says to the guy, he says to the, um, you know, kind of the leader of the cult, you know, OK, I command you to set my father free. And the next thing you know, they're they're in town again, you know, trying to go into the into the tower. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, so one second they're in the, I mean, and you don't even see them really, you know, leaving, you know, you don't see them leaving the house. You don't see them going down to the town. It's dark out, you know, the monster, you know, how do you know that the monsters are going to, are not going to come out and get you again and all that sort of, I mean, granted they got the car, 
but they, I don't know. He's like, you know, set, you know, set my father free and nothing happened, you know, and then next thing you know, they're there. So obviously he did not set the father free because they already knew where the father was. You know, I, I don't know. It just seemed kind of choppy to me. Like they could have smoothed that a little better. Yeah. The editing was not as good in this episode, I don't think, as it was in the first episode. Yeah, because it was very, as I, as I mentioned, it, was, it felt very episodic, you know, because like, for example, the Jefferson thing and, and the overreaction of George and Letitia. So it was really, I don't know, a parody, I guess. And then they cut to the next scene. And then each each scene was very episodic. Like you said, they suddenly are in the town and then they're suddenly uh, outside uh, the Monte Cristo cave and the file pops and stuff. So, so I think you're right. It may have been um a lot they put in one episode and to get around it not being like two hours or an hour and a half they just did these weird cuts to skip right to the next scene i guess well like the jefferson scene i think is meant to be jarring um the moving on up at the beginning because you got to remember where we left these characters off but that's it doesn't work as well when it comes after a week of not watching the show. Um, one, and number two, you don't realize that they're setting up a mystery until 15 minutes later when they're talking about them not being able to remember what happened the night before. Right. So they're, you know, because it, it is important that they show Letty and George having the time of their lives while... You know, and they go through that whole montage, but then it ends, right, on um, Atticus. On Atticus, right, on Atticus kind of, you know, having a breakdown um, or, or brooding because he remembers what happened. You know, and that's one of the things I liked is when he, they say, <laughs> can you have them get their memories back? And then you just hear the screams echoing through the halls as they recall the, the events of the night before. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think besides, besides that, that specific scene, um, I, I don't I've said it, it felt episodic or, or at least that's my only explanation why it felt choppy. Um, do you guys agree that was it episodic or am I just using that term and, and it was actually something else that made it? I think it was poorly edited. <laughs> and if it was on think, purpose, it was not well done. <laughs> you know, I think episodic is a good term to use, um, you know, because when you're dealing with episodic and they're talking about like episodes in television, it's where one thing is disconnected from what happens elsewhere. And, you know, there, I don't know that the, the, like I said, the flow, the connective tissue wasn't as strong as it was in the last episode where one scene seemed to generally grow out of the previous scene. Here it felt like a lot more of, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. I just wonder if there was a purpose behind it that we're not I, I seeing. Think the, the, the purpose, I, I think the, the purpose was, well, I think, I think they were trying to get, a, well, they're trying to move the story along, obviously, and what this whole... I guess cult is all about, but also they, they're, they're definitely trying to throw in um, cultural commentary, I think too, uh, about real world issues as well as historical issues that have affected um, 
I guess, I guess the, the, if not the main audience, because I think, you know, the, the, everybody's watching the show who like Lovecraft. Um, but the, the audience that the screenwriter, for example, the showrunner, uh, was trying to speak to, I guess, which, which is her own experiences, I guess, her own, uh, thoughts and opinions. And so she wanted to throw, get those in too, as much as moving the, the plot along, uh, I think. And well, I don't think is, there's, I, I don't think I found any of that distracting. I think everything was there in the narrative itself. Like I didn't feel like they took an unnecessary. Oh, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say. I didn't say it was distracting. I'm just, I'm just saying that may be the reason why I felt choppy, maybe. But none of that was. There was no extraneous plot point to that. You know, you have you're going to have that verbal confrontation with the dog handler one way or another. They just made it a verbal confrontation relating to racial issues. Um, so I don't know that the, I don't think that's the reason. I just think, you know, like I said, it's I don't think it was terribly well edited. I wonder if there was a lot of uh, deleted scenes that got cut that made made for a better transition from one to the next. Um. A lot of very quick moving about from place to place and jumping because they're in one location, but it's one location that's really multiple locations because it's the village and the tower and out on the road and in the woods, even though it's all on one, you know, general territory. So, yeah, it, it just it's just weird. Um Again, it's not like I couldn't follow the story. It just, it, like, it, to me, it would have just worked. It would have been fine if they had simply said, I want my father and brought the father in. Um, and it would have saved that whole detour of going back down to the tower. Um, it would have narrowed the story down a bit. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I mean, he's otherwise, even... all, you know, the whole thing of him having the power, he gets the speaking stick because he's the only true descendant. It, it, and then he it goes, it does nothing other than remove extras from the scene. I want you all out of here. Get the fuck out now. Right. And well, did right. it have to be the last descendant or did the father not work? Well, but ah, but because it's through his mother's side, so the father's not a descendant. Ah, gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, right. So I'm the descendant. Right, because, I, get, because remember, I get the power. Yeah, right. Because you got to remember that they even said the uncle was talking about he may not even be your 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 son. You know, you may be the father because you brought him up, but you may not be biologically even related to Atticus. Right. I mean, that's what was inferred near the end when the uncle and and, and uh, George were I mean, yep. the uncle George and 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 uh, monstrous were, were talking uh, while uh, in the bedroom. Well, and yep. the scene with the hallucinations were that's supposed to be Atticus's mother that George is with. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I, I didn't pick up on the first watch. Oh, right, um, right, right. So even so, even if Atticus and Atticus' father or Uncle George is his actual biological father, it doesn't matter because it's the mother, right, who is the direct descendant 
Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. So I kind of I figured that out. I mean, when they were dancing, it was like, all right, here's a woman that you know that he he knew before his his wife. You know, he says, okay, you're dead. So maybe okay. So he knew somebody before. You know, he met his wife, but then. You know, I didn't know that that was Atticus's mother until he was saying, are you, you know, I'm not sure that Atticus is actually, you know, your son. And that's when I put two and two together. It's like, oh, OK, well, there, there's a little there's a little depth to the story now. Um, although they do tie together the characters by color, because until you get to the black tie scene, Atticus is wearing a yellow shirt throughout the episode and and when they rescue Montrose Montrose is also wearing a yellow shirt so there's a visual tie between the two um although ironically at that moment he's dressed like because they're both in a black tie in a tux right um yeah i'm just thinking like maybe if when they were at the dinner scene again it takes something away maybe from Montrose's character um but it's a TV series, so they have plenty of time to develop his character later. If they had just had him, I want my father now, bring the father in, and then tell everyone to leave. And then once everybody leaves, and the hall is emptied, then you could have had um, that lead villain just say, you know, I really don't give a shit about all the ceremonial stuff, and then shoot the two characters. Um and that would have edit, you know, saved a bit of time. It would have eliminated the whole scene of them trying to drive away. Um, it, it just, it, and it, I don't know, might have been a, a, an easier transition. He would have had, he would have been able to use his power in a way that was a little bit more obvious to the rest of us. But I don't know. Sure, sure. Uh, well, let me ask you this: since you brought it up about uh, you guys brought up about uh, the mother in the in the dream sequence or or, or the fantasy sequence, I should say, not dream. Um, what, man, was that snake a terrible CGI or what? Was that um, bad or what? Come on, it, it was bad. And I generally find CGI snakes to be bad in general. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know what it is about snakes that makes it hard to do them convincingly as CGI. I've seen, it's very rare that I think they've, they've been done well. Um, it's sort of like drawing snakes. It's, you would think it's easy because they're just a line, but no, it's actually really kind of hard to draw a snake. Well, um, it, it's kind of, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it wasn't great, but I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to let that go. Uh, I've certainly seen worse at the same time. So, you know, and by that point, I think we all knew we were not in reality. If that was intended to be a real snake, opposed to an, uh, uh, an illusory, I, I might have taken more issue with it. Sure, sure. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, it, it was. It was. It, yeah, it wasn't too good. Um, let's see what else. Um, I'm, and and also say like even that scene. You're supposed to be getting, I think, some insight into who the characters are with those three flashbacks or not, whatever, those three hallucinations. But I don't know yeah. that we know enough about the characters at that point for those to land home with the audience. So right. I, I didn't well, realize. Like, so if you don't know that that's Tick's father, you don't, uh, mother, sorry, Tick's mother, you don't necessarily understand the significance of the scene. I, I didn't. 
Um, we don't know what the story is between Tick and the, the Korean woman. And is that how it played out there? I have no idea. He right. was, she was still alive when he talked to her on the phone, so I so I have no idea. Well, how this is. was it the same woman or was you're, you're, it you're, exactly right? Yeah, you're yeah. So there's so and and it's a really and, and if then it's we intended know, to, Leticia has the hots for Tick, right? And so that so that didn't really do much of anything. Um, oh, and then they do cut while he's talking to her, which is also weird, right? So she's talking to Tick, and then it cuts away from her and Tick to Tick. Well, that gets, I don't know that it's well that well at this the thing is is that it, when that happened, you don't know if that's actually Atticus or not. Well, right, <laughs> you think it's Atticus at first, but then next thing you see is Atticus, you know, communicating with George, you know, using um, you know Morse code. So that's when you realize, oh, okay, that's not really Atticus in with Letitia. Because, I mean, next thing you know, you have, you know, the uh, the Korean woman attacking, uh, you know, attacking Atticus. You know, meanwhile, you hear, meanwhile you hear George on the other end, on the other wall, kind of like hearing, hearing the commotion. And he's just kind of looking at the wall like, what the heck is going on over there? And then the next thing you know, he sees, you know, Atticus's mother come out of nowhere, you know. And, of course, he's happy to see her, but he's like, you're dead. You know, but he still dances with her. And finally, he just says, "This is wrong. You're you're dead. You've been dead. What's going on?" And then, and then all of a sudden, everything's well. Everything stops with the gong, and they all just kind of step out when they couldn't step out. You know, a few minutes earlier because Atticus tried stepping out, which also probably would have told could have told you at the at the beginning that okay, this isn't really Atticus because. That, Atticus actually tried leaving in his room and he got hit with a force field. Uh, I think, Kevin, you may be right that when they did the cut from Letitia to Atticus, it allowed us to know that Atticus, who she was thinking she were ta was talking to, was just a figment. And and I think that, that was the main reason for that weird cut, Mike. But again, I guess maybe they, they could have done it a little, little, little differently to well, make it more... And, Saw, it, when I first saw the scene, when Atticus, with a fake Atticus, comes into the room, my first thought, my my the first thing I thought was, wait a minute, how would he get out? Yeah, the field, force field, right? Yeah, I mean, how did? Because we just saw it. he just tried to get out, and then next thing you know, uh, you know, he's in Letitia's room, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, how, how did he? How did he figure figure a way out? Like, how did he do that? Because he never says, well, I mean, he never explains it, but I mean, Letitia didn't know he, you know, he was locked in his room, too. I mean, they none of them tried to get out. They were just kind of in their room freaking out because all the memories came back to them. Well, speak, speaking of, of the force fields and the wiping of the memories and these fantasy scenes and these various other things that we've seen and the way these characters react yeah, this is another reason why I, I yeah I, I really believe this, this is mystical realism or dark fantasy rather than supernatural horror because their reactions being to to all these weird things make it seem a little more normal similar to like you know what we saw in True Blood or or, or something of that nature than um, if it was a straight supernatural horror film where 
supernatural things happen and then, and then everybody's like freaking out because these things don't supposed to happen here. They've accepted it. I mean, we're in the second episode and they, they've accepted it pretty, pretty easily. Everything that that's going on. Um, and again, that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that that's why I, I'm just saying that that's why I think this is dark fantasy slash mass well, magical realism. Well, right, I think you're hung. And, I think you're hung up on this. Way, you're, you're hung up on this way too much as to which category falls in. Um, yeah. Because the two of them have a lot of overlap, and it's a TV series, so you can't have them running around like Scooby Doo every episode. You know, they they had an explanation for the for two characters not having a problem with it, with their memory being wiped, and they definitely showed Tick having a problem processing everything they had been through. You know, but you know, people do adjust fairly quickly, and he, you know, he is somebody who's well read in this. Um, in this genre, right, and whether it's dark fantasy or science fiction or horror, you know, he's read these stories. So once he has had a day to process his thoughts or half of it, that this shit is real, you know, he's kind of doing what he can with it and recognizing, all right, the only way that makes sense is if this is magic, if this is a spell. And he, and he works with it, and I do appreciate that they're just kind of leaning into it just being magic and not giving me some pseudo-science fiction thing. Um, because, I, I don't know, we, we always find to want, want to find yeah. more rationalistic explanations can you, for things some, like that. Can you answer well, some, for me one quick question? Is that uh, um, why, you know, you have Letitia and George, they don't remember the monsters, but Atticus does. Now, is that because of his position you know, that's because he's the, the descendant. Is that why he he has recollection of the whole, you know, all of the events? Or is it something? That was my feeling. Well, well I, I, think, I, got out of it. I think purposely wiped out the minds of the, the two that aren't descendants. Well, because they, they don't know why. They don't well, really know the purpose behind it. I didn't get that. The women said, uh, you know, the woman was telling Attica, I, for, I forgot her name too. Uh, the woman told Atticus, she said, you know, there's it's almost like a like a protection charm or whatever that anybody that deals with those monsters and lives, you know, outsiders who deal with that monster, those monsters and live, forget about it. So tech, I mean, Atticus is still I mean, is Atticus an outsider? No, I think or, he's, he's or, an insider because of his blood. Because of yeah. his blood. Okay, so that is so that is why he remembers while Letitia and George don't. Okay, that that's what I was thinking, but I wasn't totally sure. Right. Yeah, no, no, and that's what I think too, Mike. Um and speaking of uh um the authors that were named, uh William Hope Hodgson and uh Clark Ashton Smith and Eldrin Blackwood, um, those three authors do overlap they have straight horror fiction and then they also have the dark fantasy too. And all three of those authors are, are from, you know, Lovecraft's time period. So, you know, back in the 1920s and whatever. Um, and the thing is, is that the, like, for example, Ashton Clark, I mean, uh, as Clark Ashton Smith is most certainly closer to dark fantasy. And then William Hope Hobbs, and even though he is most of his short stories, uh, straight horror, supernatural horror, whatnot. His novellas are all dark fantasy, and the house on the border, 
um, or the one that they referenced specifically in this, uh, the House on the Borderland. I'm sorry, the one they specifically referenced in this show is is dark fantasy. But you're dealing with two. Phil, you're, 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 Phil, you're hung up on this. It's two episodes yeah, out of I a am. series. And you're dealing, and you're, and you're coming to a conclusion based on one of those two episodes, because the first episode I think was, was pretty clearly a horror episode. Yeah. So you know, it's just whatever it is, just try to enjoy whatever it is, or not enjoy whatever it is, whatever it happens to be, as opposed to trying to figure out what category it's in so you can enjoy it. Yeah, and that's fair. That's fair. Can I can I mention one thing though about um, like the whole idea of the the Eden? You know, wanting to bring Eden back and all that sort of thing is obviously, you know, oh, they right, quote right. the Bible, you know, and, you know, I'm the, you know, I think uh, Phil, I think, even told told me once I'm the uh, the honorary resident theologian of the group. Um, not really a theologian, but kind of appreciated that. The, it's it, one of the things I found funny was, first of all, you know, they quoted the scene from Genesis 2.19 you know, it's where Adam was naming everything, and he says, well, it was also putting things in their place. And it's like, well, okay, fine. But the thing is, is first they, they said, uh, you know, whether or not you want to take that whole thing literal or not, that's, that's something completely different. But one of the things that the woman, the woman actually said was, you know, because cause Eve ruined everything. Well, technically, no, she did not. Yes, she did take a bite of the fruits. But then so did Adam. Adam did not have to. But so let's not- also re- let's also remember when this is set. Let's remember who, the the context of of how uh, what would have been a popular interpretation at the time, and the context of the people involved. The way she said it, she was saying it like it was she was repeating a mantra. Oh yeah, you know, no, and she was repeating. This is what I learned in school. Right, that Eve. It's no, but I'm saying this is me. This is me from my perspective. Okay. 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 This is me from my perspective is that, you know, being the person who actually reads the Bible says, look at it and it says, you know, it's, it's both their fault. You know, Adam did not have to eat. It could have, you know, Eve ate first, but Adam did not have to. Adam ate a, as well as she did. And that caused a whole load of problems. But now he's trying to get, he says, well, I, when the guy says, well, I'm, I'm the new Adam. Well, technically speaking, Christ is supposed to be the second Adam, and uh, and that is scriptural. That's in I think it's in Romans. Don't quote me on that one. But maybe then, they were Jewish. Well, Jesus was Jewish, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> but Not the, thing the creation is, is story. The creation story has something for Christianity and the Jewish. Faith. No, but I'm talking about the interpretation of of the uh, the Brightweights. Yeah, but where but they, anyway, where they would be rejecting Jesus as a new Braithwaite doesn't exactly sound like a Jewish name. <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there. But the thing is, is that what they're Excuse trying to the do mother, is trying, the name comes from the father. The the Jewish comes from the mother. Right. But the funny part is, is that <laughs> what they're trying to do is that he says, you know, I'm the I'm I'm Adam. So he's trying to do a new Garden of Eden. But the thing about Garden of Eden was God was there. That is what really made Eden so wonderful, was that God was there. God was in harmony with human beings. So they're essentially trying to create a new Eden without God, which is not really a good idea. Um, and like I said, that's, that's just 
that's just the theologian in me wanting to. Maybe he was planning on being the new God. Well, well, he and, said he wasn't, but the problem was is that even though he said he was the new Adam, he was not mentioning God at all. So even if he said, you know, I'm I'm the new Adam, he's pretty much saying he wants to be in charge and essentially, yeah, he wants to be like God, if anything. Well, you know, the idea that the villains are sacrilegious is not a new thing. But also, I mean, a big a big part of this again fitting to the, the a theme in the series. An important line was that, um, I mean, we all, I think, are familiar with the idea that in, uh, in mysticism, the idea of you name something and it gives you power over it. And, um, you know, the idea that, you know, again, Adam naming the beast gives, you know, man dominion over the beast, but also put everything in its place. And that line is important because it put everything in its place. God, man, woman, right? So he separates man and which he's not talking about man as in mankind. But and and notice and putting him in the order, man, woman, beasts, and you know they, you know it's clearly and talking the woman about, was not allowed to go to dinner, right? So it's there's that. So not only is it, but it's also again we're dealing with at this point the the sort of the beginnings of the civil rights movement, um, and also women's liberation movement, um, is going to start going back then, and it's the the and the how many times. Did people hear you need to know your place? You know, right. black people need to know their place. Women need to know their place. So that, that is what that line is really, you know, echoing or referring to while, you know, maybe the, the time of creation, the idea of, you know, you got to remember, you got to go back to the bus because that's where you belong. You got to get back in the kitchen because that's where you belong. Well, it's like you know. while, they, while the guys were, while the people were watching, you know, the, you know, pretty much for entertainment, the, you know, the, the hallucinations, if you will, by for entertainment, you know, she was in there and you heard one guy say, oh, what's she doing here? You know, it's like, wait, she's not supposed to be here. For, uh, for, for, for those that are uh, curious, uh, Braithwaite is a Yankee Anglo name, uh, most likely Episcopalian. Uh, Thank you. Uh, if anybody who follows agnomastics, yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. Yep. So it's a it's a good old Yankee British UK name type of thing. Yeah, and it makes sense because uh, it's it's Massachusetts and old old money Brahim uh, bourgeois family. Uh, it makes sense that they would be that, even though they all look Norwegian, and you know, but <laughs> so be it. Um, Let's see. Uh, what else? Uh, anything else? Anybody want to bring up? Uh, we missing uh, or add to things that we already discussed? Um, do we think George is dead? I'm not sure because she did say that he, her father, you know, honors his debts basically. So I don't know. His father died. He may have died. We don't know that for sure either. Well, he kind of became dust. That kind of. Yeah, but. I don't in a very Indiana Jones moment. I don't take anything for granted. Well, maybe the woman has some power. You know, I don't know. Because I mean, in the um, what? Because I mean, I looked up an IMDb, and they've got the you know they've got they've got him through you know eight episodes. 
but but he could be in dreams, I guess, too. So you just never know. Well, I mean, the, the father was in eight episodes too, and you know, and he wasn't. He you know, he was only he wasn't in the first one, so we'll see. Yeah. It, it'll depend. Um, and IMDb is not always completely reliable. And if you are smart and you're you know, running a show like this, you're going to make sure you go into IMDb and you, whoever dies in the second episode, you're putting down that they're in eight episodes because that you can modify what's in IMDb. True. Well, the thing is in the book, he lived. Okay. All right. So, so based off of that, yeah, maybe they're going to keep him alive later. You know, in the book, all four lived. Because, um, I mean, in the I book... I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a huge cliffhanger, right, Kevin? By having him, yeah. quote-unquote, yeah, die. Yeah, kind of at the point where... Because, I mean, they've been... This whole episode, they deviated from the book quite a bit. So part of me is wondering, should I even continue with a book? Because I don't want to get confused between the show and the book. Right, right. Interesting. Anything else, uh, Kevin? Let's go with you. Since since you read the book, or, or, or are reading the book, the things that happened in this episode, what, what were some of the deviations? Or, or some of the things that weren't deviations, that were actually spot on? Uh, well, okay, the the father, um, not uh, crumbs, the, the, the old guy, the... Uncle George. Told, yeah, no, no, no. The the leader, the 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 villain, Yankee, the Yankee white Anglo-Saxon last name guy. Um, yeah, the the villain. the villain. Yeah, the villain. The villain does turn to dust, and actually, and all of the followers okay. turn to dust. Now, in the book, the daughter is actually the son. The son is not happy with his father. He doesn't like the situation he's in, and. Um, the house does not collapse. It doesn't fall to pieces. Uh, only there's a fire, but it doesn't spread. And in the end, uh, when when they leave, William pretty much. First of all, William has the car fixed. It has there has Woody the car fixed, and he pretty much said, "You know, I ran this house. I'll still run the house. I just have more stuff to do to run the house." In other words, the repairs. He's probably he's pretty much going to be in charge of the repairs, and um, and actually breaking the father out. Well, there's a couple of things when they go into the village. First of all, there was no tower. There was the church, uh, the Church of Adam or something like that, and the head priest. And it was a head priestess who, instead of uh, the woman with the two dogs. And when they go, they go, I can't remember where it was, where they were holding the father. I think it was in the church, but it was, uh, they ended up, the, they, kind of, they kind of fought off the woman. They did fight off, they fought off the woman and somebody else, I think. And the, fa- they, the father didn't dig his way out. They actually got the father out. Uh, there was the trap door, they got the father out. And they ended up beating the the crap out of the and there was only one dog and they end up beating the crap out of it so i kind of like the fact that they didn't do that in this one they just leticia just knocked the woman out and that was it um just trying to think of what else was going going on with that one and um you know and william is always pretty decent to them and the son was the son is let's see I'm just, yeah the, the the son was also 
fairly decent to him. I can't remember if it was the son or the father. It was the son, though, who shot Letitia. But he, but like when we next see, when we next hear from her, she's healed. So it's almost like I'm shot. I shot you, but I'm going to heal you immediately because I, I, you just have to know the power that I've got or something. I don't remember, but, oh, and when he leave and when they leave, uh, um, I can't remember if it was William or the son said to Atticus, you now have protection. He says, what does that mean? He says, when you're in that car, you are protected, which means that he, he could drive down the street and, and police won't stop him. Like the police won't bother him. Interesting. Yeah, no. And also, so, this is a, but this is the big one for the for the ritual. The son gives Atticus a little scroll before he goes into the ritual and said, read this. And it's and it's an Adamic language. And at first, Atticus can't read it. And all of a sudden he can. So he starts reading what's on the what's on the scroll. And that's what saves his life. And that's what makes the spell backfire. So pretty much the son is the one responsible for killing his father and everybody else because he gave Atticus the key to surviving the ritual and having it backfire on everybody else. Okay, so some of the big changes is is that the son is turned into a daughter in the TV show. The, the That character, son slash daughter, uh, is the one that actually saves Atticus rather than Atticus's own uh, bloodline. Great, 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 that great, 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 great grandmother. Yeah, yeah. And then also they changed the evil bigoted priestess into a bumpkin slash rural slash hillbilly woman for some reason. Yeah, and I the, did. I never got bumpkin hillbilly. Oh, I did. I got backwoods. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what. But uh, what I also, I mean, the the whole thing with the father being rescued and yelling, then yelling at Atticus, "Why the heck did you rescue me? We haven't spoken in five years, and now you decide to listen to me." You know, that was in the book, and. Um, uh, there, there was one I couldn't remember. Oh, the whole scene with the, with the illusions never happened. Okay. Now, are you enjoying the book more than the show or the show more than the book? Uh, uh, da, 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 da. So far, the book. But the show, yeah. the show is, <clears throat> I am, I am starting to warm up to the show. Uh, especially after seeing scenes from next week. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm optimistic about next week uh, as far as the subject and, you know, the, the, the plot and what have you. Um, I'm kind of interested in how that goes and how they right. do that. And, and to be honest, I mean, I mean, most books, people usually enjoy books more than, than adaptations anyway. I mean, I mean, there's a there's few exceptions that the adaptation is better than, than the, the book. So Blade that, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, Godfather maybe too, even though the book was pretty damn good. Um, 
So uh, what else did I want to bring up? Oh, so George, um, did he get shot in the book? Uh, one of I can't remember which one because, like I said, Letitia got shot. I don't. I don't remember if I don't think George did. Uh, no, he right. did. Well, either way, he, he's not. No, so he's he not. Didn't. The father got shot. The father got shot. Oh, and the whole question about Atticus's, uh, you know, who, who Atticus's father was, that that's not in the book either. As far as I remember, the father is the one who got shot. And that's what I was going to ask you. Um, and he pretty and I think. And I can't remember. It's like one of them said, and I can't remember which one. It might have been even the father that said, get the woman out of here. And George says, I'm not leaving you behind. You know, so that cold. Yeah, did the father die? Did the no. father die? No, they all, they all, okay. they all survived. All four of them survived and all four of them got out. Interesting. And, and did the building or man? or whatever you want to palace, whatever you want to call it, it just dissolve and break apart. No, it, it caught it caught on fire like it did, um, you know, the last time, you know, when when Atticus's, you know, uh, ancestor escaped. But this time, though, they were able to contain it. So there was damage, but it wasn't um, it didn't destroy the building. And that's why William at the end, you know, William at the end said, you know, I'm going to I'll just he pretty much said, I'm going to be in charge of making sure all this gets fixed. Now, Mike, th this is probably another reason. And I know you're going to get pissed because I say, I'll say it again. Uh, this is more magical realism or dark fantasy <laughs> than straight horror, because something <laughs> Who like that, cares? nobody well, gives a shit yeah. except for you. Something, something, exactly. Nobody cares. Something, you're you're something focusing like, on that one aspect of this one episode. So, well, it's important because something like that, where the entire building just dissolves, that that would be that would never happen in a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but but again, this like is this all is the house this of is Usher, episode, that never happens. This is episode two, not the end of a horror film. So if you have episode it was the end of that chapter of the horror film. It's each it's an episode. Right, but but again, we're, we're it's an entire series. It's not a standalone. It doesn't supposed to be completely standalone. But it's still at the the cultish part of it, like Mike said, and that was kind of pulling it towards the the Lovecraftian. Um, I wish they would have sounded a little more. Well, well this is the, my question. Chanting, is it, will, but... will, will, well, will this be news? Then is what I'm saying uh, in the next few episodes because it's like. If something like that happens, the FBI comes in or, or some big news. Well, you're like thinking FBI FBI kind of now. Back then, no. Well, and again, this is like the reason that, why, but, that, why they can get away with all that stuff, Mike. Well, remember, it's, Phil, it's, Phil, remember it's at the beginning. Remember at the beginning, now this is in the show, when the guy put the map down and he's pointing to the thing, he says, there is no town here. He's like, this is one of the most recent maps, and there is nothing there. Right. You know, how so often? Where was the FBI when the kids were disappearing in Derry during it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's very, very common for the law enforcement not to get involved. Have the cops ever uh, been to visit uh, Crystal Lake? The, 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 they're the, dead if they the, did. There's a big difference between <laughs> the, there's a big difference between a handful of 
people disappearing versus an entire building just dissolving there supernaturally. Was not a, I mean, that was no. a constant amount of kids that were Nobody knew about the town. Nobody knew about the town. There were no right. phones there. Nobody knew anything about that little, about that village. That village was technically not on the map. It was a hidden village. You know, there, you know, the FBI. Okay, so how, how did, so it's an alternate reality. So it's similar to the Love, uh, the Lovecraftian movie that John Carpenter made then in the Mouth of Madness then that this village is like in an alternate reality or something? Well, you, everything's an alternate reality where you have stuff that's not real. Well, I mean, this, like, it, it would, well, think about this. Did you ever see, what was it, M9 Sh- Shyamalan's The Village? I yes. mean, that village, yeah. technically, and a lot of, I mean, according to a lot of people, nobody knew that village was there. That village could have collapsed. Right. Everybody in that village could have died, and nobody would have known because they were cut off from modern, from, from, from everybody else. Right. They were, but, but those were, those were, those were, Shacks compared to uh, a palace. It was one building. No, they weren't. It was was a building in the middle of nowhere that was deliberately trying not to be seen. Right. Right. They didn't want to be detected. They didn't want interference. This demonstrates the value of not being seen. Seen. Yes. They. They. I have. And I imagine one of these. Well, then then, then I'm having problems with suspensions of disbelief. Then I'm having problems with. Suspension with disbelief. I think you're reaching. I really do. Yeah. Trying to One find reasons to complain. Things that actually seems believable. If you have a town that's hidden in the middle of nowhere, and the you know it's not on the map, the FBI doesn't know about it. Only a small handful of people know about it. In 1950s, where it's not as developed as it is today, you know how is and there are no police in this village because the the guy said, "Are you the police?" Ask the woman, are you the, you know, are you the jailer? And she's like, what are you talking about? You know, there, there are no police. There are no jails. There is no phone to get out. So they have literally no contact with the human world or with the rest of the world. There are no roads going in, no known roads going in there. The road kind of ends at one spot and then, you know, and then begins at another spot, you know, through this village that is not on the map. Repeat not on the map. So <laughs> nobody knows so, about so the, it. So, so, so the whole the FBI. So, the whole village is, was, so is the. Why are you getting upset? Uh, no, I'm just. I'm not upset at all. I'm just trying to bring home oh. the point that the FBI has absolutely no idea that this this big house. Which actually, according to if you listen to William, he said there are no phones out because. The guy who owns the place doesn't want contact with the outside world, and he, he almost uses that that big mansion almost as like a summer or recreation home. It's and for parties, so that's technically not even his house. That is kind of his vacation home yeah, just, and party like home. Sound, so, I mean, yeah, I, I know that. So I mean, right. if I so understand that, all that. The FBI was going to get involved. It would be maybe at his business on the outside world. All right, I, oh, get, I get it. No, I, I get it. I, I get it. So let me let me let me ask for clarification. So is the village an alternate reality village similar to that Carpenter film I mentioned, or is it a no? It's, no, it's a real village. It's a real village. So it's not supernatural or anything like no. that. No. 
No, okay. it's a it's a hidden backwards. I mean, you see how I mean the the people are dressed like they're in the the early eighteen hundreds. You know, they're they're dressed right. like uh, I wouldn't say colonial, definitely not colonial, but they're definitely dressed as a uh, a rural, you know, early eighteen hundreds village. You know, they're you know, I wouldn't say backwards. It's just they haven't really moved forwards a lot. But so the village exists. They just don't. They just did not advance, and they do not have contact much with the outside. And they gotcha. also have that spell to get people to forget things that are not on the inside. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't really see the the issue here. It's a, it's a real village in the real in their real world that they that, but they don't That's want. That's why I'm asking questions. So I didn't say it was, a, I didn't say it was an issue. I'm asking questions. Trying to well, clarification we trying here. To answer, and you, we were trying to answer, and it didn't sound like you were understanding what we were saying. <clears throat> no, no. Well, I understand things, but then I want to do my follow-up questions, and, and that's why I was asking the follow-up questions. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, let's see. What else? Anything else anybody want to bring up? Anyone? Uh, no, I think. I mean, I like I said, I don't know where they're going. They seem to have closed off this storyline. I would have liked to. Because I suspect that the daughter is going to be a factor going forward. So I would have liked to see some hint of that at the end. That, you know, this has not been closed off completely or some sign of where they're going with it. Um, because this did feel like the the finale in a weird way of uh, maybe for this chapter. And I just don't know where, where they go. Um, I don't know if we're going to see George again. Um I'm hoping to. I liked him. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, but it was one of the reasons you know, we'll, I was we'll going to watch. Well, right. Well, <laughs> right. Well, 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 you never know, right? With these adaptions, because for example, The Outsider, which was HBO's last big um, TV show prior to this one, uh, and that was an adaptation of the Stephen King novel, The Outsider, and they changed that completely. Um, like it, it's not even like the book. So. It's possible they could they could do that here too, where where George is dead and yet he's still alive in the book. So it'll be curious to see um, as you go along reading uh, the book, Kevin, and and when we watch the show together, to to see the differences and if it, if the differences, no pun intended, did make a difference or are they still good, just different different um adaptions of you know the same idea in a sense right right um all right sounds good sounds good so uh, i mean if everybody's getting upset with me because i'm curious oh no i'm not upset at all i'm just trying to make sure that you understood what i was saying yeah no no i i, I did I, I, that's why i just wanted the, the follow-up questions which is yeah if they're isolated obviously those things make all, every sense that you said but then my second question was so was the village isolated because it was supernatural or alternate reality or was it just isolated because it was that remote and i guess you know what it is it's also i'm confused a little bit because the map they show i'm very familiar with massachusetts i grew up in massachusetts i was born in massachusetts my family's all from massachusetts in that area of massachusetts i went to college and on and on and, and dated girls that lived in that area and whatever so that whole area isn't really rural where this county is supposed to be. So 
that's why but, I would be confused. But but Lovecraft, he wrote about Arkham and all these other and and Dunwich and all these other towns and and Innsmouth, and though like Innsmouth and, and Arkham, for example, are, are somewhat remote on the coast near Cape Ann in his stories, and yet those towns, and and if they were existed today, would most certainly not be remote because of where they're located. They're very touristy and whatever. But back in you know 1920 when he wrote it, you know he's making it up where these were remote towns and and you know that's you know if you're gonna that's what he did. So again, this is a, a work but of they, fiction. They, they so kind of addressed it towns. in the last episode, right? When because it's not Arkham, it's Artem, you know, and it's they just said that Lovecraft drew inspiration from it, and it's not actually what Lovecraft wrote. Right, and that's true. This is a Lovecraft country. It's not actually a Lovecraft story. So yeah, yeah. So I, I guess that's that's possibly one, one another reason. But again, again, this is a, a work of fiction, and it takes place in, in you know nineteen fifty different time period. Um, and you know you can fictionalize. You can make a, a, a fictional village in the middle of an area that you know, someone knows and whatnot. So yeah, no worries. All right. Um, I guess, uh, uh, we can, uh, talk about the trailer for next week. Anybody watch that? Oh yeah, I did. Yep. I didn't get a chance to. I didn't either. Um, Barrett, did you watch the trailer? I did. I thought it looked a little more supernatural, um, from what they showed, um, some more of the same, um, as far as like, racial relations and things like that. Um, but, you know, I liked this week's trailer also. So I'll hold my judgment until I see next week's episode. What about you, Kevin? Uh, well, it, I mean, the trailer made it look like they were facing uh, monsters outside in. and Well, not like actual, like, you know, physical monsters outside, but uh, let's just say supernatural monsters on the inside and natural monsters on the outside. Now, anybody watched uh, or listened to their after uh, show show? You know, you know, like The Walking Dead has that Talking Dead show. Um, this show, Mike, you mentioned, has something like that too. Anybody watched that or listened to it? No, I didn't realize they had that. Yeah, I listened to no, it. No, is that on HBO only, or is it also on like on HBO Now and HBO uh, Plus? It, I listened to most of it on uh, HBO on the HBO Plus. It, it was it was a podcast essentially. Oh, okay, yeah, I know they have the podcast. So it's yeah, not really an after show. Yeah, that's what I. Uh, that's what. Yeah, that was the after show I listened to. Yeah, they they actually promote it right after the episode. Um, that's why I, I assumed it was more than just a podcast. But um, did you listen to it, Mike, by any chance? No, I didn't. Okay, I was just curious. I know you did, Kevin, right? You, you said uh, it was interesting, but, you know, no big deal or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm not going to listen to it again. Um, it... I, I wasn't too fond of it. Sure, sure, sure. And and you know, a lot of times, um, you, every every individual wants to take their own thought process out of 
what they watch anyway. And sometimes it's better not to listen to the filmmakers themselves talk yeah. about what they're, they're showing. Because, again, it's, it's, it's kind of like interesting to hear people who weren't involved talk about it more than the filmmakers in some cases. Well, I was, I was hoping to get uh, like maybe some insights or kind of a background uh, to the episode, kind of like a behind the scenes type of thing. But that's not really what it was. It was more a social commentary, um, you know, by a couple of the people who, you know, who were involved with making the show. And it just it just wasn't that interesting to me. I was kind of hoping for. You know, like when you get to your director's commentary or actor's commentary, like, oh, yeah, you know, this means this or, oh, yeah, you know, we were pl- we're thinking about doing this or, oh, yeah, we had to. Oh, yeah, we had to cut this scene because of this and that, you know, kind of stuff that we would probably want to listen to. But they really didn't have that. It was um, like I said, it was more of a social commentary um, than than it was an actual episode commentary. Gotcha. All right, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. All right, sounds good. So um, we pretty much discussed everything and, and what we thought. So uh, and what we're going to think about next week. But uh, next week's episode is called uh, "Holy Ghost." So uh, a very Christian term, specifically Catholic uh, and Eastern Orthodox. Uh, again, it's directed by Daniel Sackheim and written by Mich- Misha Green. So the the same two folks that did this last episode are, are repeating in episode three that comes out august 30th 2020 uh and we'll, we'll be back to talk about that one uh, most likely uh the episode will drop on wednesday the 2nd of september uh so we're already uh hidden hidden into us uh, the month of september good um so uh all right so with all that stated i guess uh, mike you can lead us out all right, well, thanks again for listening to Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country. We will be back next week uh, to cover episode three. Uh, in the meantime, please visit the Dark Discussions uh, homepage or try listening to any one of the many other Dark Discussions podcasts. And uh, we will hopefully see you again or hear from you again next week. Oh, man playing on a run to Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? On that day, I run to the rock, please hide me on.